News Talk 580-1059 KMJ. This is the Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition. Now here's your host, Mark Kepler. The lack of affordable housing in California has become, in the eyes of many, a crisis. While several state programs have been implemented to address this issue, a recent report by the nonpartisan state auditor is critical in the way they've been administered. We'll hear why these programs have fallen short, and then discuss an old concept that's new again, granny flats, and whether they might be part of the solution to California's housing crisis. That conversation in a moment. Funding for the Maddie Report is made possible by grants from the California Emerging Technology Fund, leaders in the quest for digital equity. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Fresno State Associated Students, Inc. Students serving students. BNSF Railway, moving our economy for 160 years. And the wonderful company. The Maddie Report is also made possible thanks to contributions from Harris Ranch Inn and Restaurant and E&J Gallo Winery as well as the Bonner Family Foundation, Community Medical Centers, Dewey Square Group, Comcast Financial Agency, Nossiman LLP, Sagasser Watkins and & Wheeland, and Valley Children's Hospital. From the Maddie Institute, the Public Policy Institute for the Valley's four public universities, this is the Maddie Report with Executive Director of the Maddie Institute, Mark Kepler. Welcome. California is experiencing a housing shortage. This is particularly true of low-income households, which make up 40% of all California households. There are a myriad of state programs, however, that are supposed to help increase the stock of affordable housing. Are those state programs working? Are they delivering? The recent report by the California State Auditor answers that question. Our guest is Elaine Howe, California State Auditor, and she's here to explain the report's findings. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you. So first of all, can you give us a general overview on the shortage of affordable housing in California? How bad is the problem? Well, we have a serious problem in California. As you mentioned, uh, 40% of households in California um, are low-income households. And what that means is they make you know, 80% or less of the median income in their particular region. Uh, and we're looking at about 3 million households, according to HUD, that are in that category. And, they're, and what we say in the audit report is they're, they're burdened. So 30% of their income is going towards either rent or if they're fortunate enough to own a home towards their mortgage. So there's a significant number of people in California who if they have housing, they're struggling to pay for that housing. Um, but we also have a, a significant number of individuals in California who are homeless. And certainly with the pandemic, uh, that situation is getting worse. Yeah, so what state agencies exist to increase affordable housing in California? Uh, there are a variety of agencies. Um, our Housing Community Development Agency is responsible for looking at a state plan, working with local jurisdictions to make sure affordable housing is built. Housing units in general are built, but certainly emphasizing affordable housing. Uh, there are a couple of committees at the state treasurer's office that allows for developers to access funding through bonding or tax-exempt uh, bonds and, and other types of uh, financing. Uh, so those are key areas. Then there's a California Housing Finance Authority, which again assists developers in obtaining financing uh, with an emphasis on building multifamily housing uh, units that can house you know, numerous families and can really address the affordable housing crisis in our state. It seems, though, that at the end of the day, um, you really need local jurisdictions to cooperate. I mean, the state oversees those local efforts, but ultimately, 
it's up to local jurisdictions to, to really make it happen. That's true. Um, and that's one of the concerns that the legislature had when they asked us to conduct the audit is, are there barriers at the local level uh, that are precluding developers uh, from building affordable housing for, because we need more affordable housing for our low income uh, individuals in California. And there are barriers that locals can put up, uh, whether they do it intentionally or not. Uh, they, they really do uh, make it difficult uh, to construct affordable housing in California. Yeah, but uh, state, uh, local agencies, local jurisdictions are supposed to come up with this thing called uh, housing plans, their local housing plans, but they're not done every year. They're not done annually, are they? No, not necessarily. I think they're done, I don't recall the exact time frame, but- um, I think I read it like five to eight years, something like that. It's, it's a pretty yeah, long it's period a pretty, of time. It's a pretty long period of time. And one of the other problems is our state housing community development department should be reviewing those plans. They don't necessarily have the authority to direct the local jurisdiction what to do, but they need to be able to look at that plan and see, is this respective community, local jurisdiction, really addressing the need for affordable housing in California in their particular region, or are they not planning uh, to build enough affordable housing? Yeah, so it looks like it's a, it's a plan, kind of a guideline recommendation, but doesn't seem to be a lot of teeth to it. But the state recently enacted some statutes to better promote the development of, of affordable housing. What did they do and did they solve the problem? Well, it helped with the problem. It didn't solve the problem. I mean, some of the statutory changes were to streamline some of the processes that developers have to go through or those interested in, in constructing affordable housing to try to streamline some of the processes uh, that, again, to try to get those projects approved, streamline the processes for accessing funding uh, from the state because a developer not only needs, you know, their own personal investment and private investors, uh, but the state of California has programs that can really help with this type of development. So some of the statutory changes were really to try to streamline some of those processes, uh, but we don't think it's gone far enough. Locals are not doing enough to build affordable housing. I think I read too that they're, they've actually increased the number of housing units developers can request. So, so that's a good thing, right? Uh, they can't put a limit on that. And then you can expand, uh, they're expanding requirements for local jurisdictions to identify uh, in their housing plan. So make their housing plans a little more robust. Sounds like they're doing that as well. That's correct. That's correct. So when that housing plan is put together, the local jurisdiction has to identify where in our jurisdiction are we intending to build affordable housing. You're absolutely right. Okay. So up next, we're going to talk about the state auditor's thoughts on the state agency's actions to address affordable housing in California. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe about a recent report her office issued on state programs that are established to address the uh, affordable housing need in California. Their conclusion, quote, the state lacks an effective approach to building enough affordable homes, unquote. So one of the key shortcomings uh, in your report is uh, what you cite is, quote, uh, the lack of, quote, an effective plan for using and overseeing the billions of dollars available for affordable housing, unquote. Can you explain? Sure. Uh, there's a few things we found uh, problematic at the state level as far as having a comprehensive plan. Uh, the plan lacked specific key attributes. You know, how many units do we need to construct over the course of the next five, 10 years? Where, where in California do we need to construct those units? But really uh, an important attribute uh, that we didn't see is 
a central location where uh, you could identify all of the funding sources that are available. What resources do we have from a financial perspective uh, from you know, HCD from CalHAFA, which is the Housing Finance Agency, from the state treasurer's office, making sure that we understand as a state all of the different resources and we're communicating that to developers uh, so they, they can access those resources to be able to construct housing. Also looking at where the best impact, how can we have the best impact with the funds we invest? Where do we need to invest those funds? And then measuring outcomes. Are we constructing units in the appropriate places? Are we building enough affordable housing? Are we building enough multifamily housing? Those are the kinds of things we would have expected to see in a state plan. Yeah, I mean, having a clearinghouse of information obviously makes a lot of sense. Measuring whether you're effectively and efficiently utilizing resources, again, just makes common sense. But one thing you noted in your report, um, you found the state mismanaged $2.7 billion to address affordable housing. How in the world did that happen? Right. That's a that's bonds uh, that were available. Um, and this, again, was a state treasurer's office. They had two committees, a debt limit committee. And that committee, you know, basically authorizes bonds and then allocates those bonds to different entities that are interested. And and some of those bonds have an expiration dates. And so what uh, the debt limit committee did was allocated some of those funds to the pollution control. Um, because they knew they would be able to use some of the funds and then that would allow, uh, you know, prevent it from those bonds from expiring. But pollution control was not reporting back. Debt limit committee wasn't monitoring. And unfortunately, pollution control only used about $800 million. So out of over $3 billion in bonds, $2.7 billion expired. And those funds could have been used elsewhere. But there's, there's a deadline, right? It expires, then you, you're right. no longer available. Um, your audit revealed that the state's housing plan um, lacked information about the extent of available housing resources, the a strategy for their optimal use, and an assessment of their impact. Those are some pretty big shortcomings. What are the implications? Right. This is what we were just talking about a few minutes ago is understanding where the need is uh, within each jurisdiction and how much is being invested in each of those jurisdictions. And are we uh, providing resources, not necessarily equitably, but are we making sure that the resources we're investing are really having an impact in California? So what we found is some counties were getting uh, access to some of this, uh, these resources that were available at the state level and other counties were getting zero resources. And the state HCD and the state treasurer's office was not doing a good job of monitoring uh, the, the uh, investment of resources in California to build uh, affordable housing. Yeah, it seems like, you know, I was thinking when I was reading your report, um, the, the adage of, you know, measure twice, cut once. Um, mm -hmm. It seems like a lot of the problems do go lack of relevant data um, to develop a comprehensive coordinated uh, state plan. True? Yes, that's true. Uh, when we looked at HCD to determine whether or not they had a database that under that captured information such as the types of applications they're receiving, uh, what kinds of funding has been awarded, how many units have been built, where have those units been constructed, the types of things that you would expect when you're managing a housing program and trying to invest in affordable housing in California, you would expect the state to have a unified database like that. And, and we, we saw that it was, it was lacking. Yeah, you, you refer to the four housing agencies program requirements as, quote, misaligned and inconsistent, unquote. That's pretty tough language. 
Right. What we meant there is, you know, the, the different agencies have, we looked at the requirements. So if I'm a developer or I'm interested in building a project in a community in California and I need to go to CalHAFA with housing finance agency for certain loans, uh, and then I need to go to the state treasurer's office for some bonding, um, and, I, and the program is going to uh, support the same project, but I apply at one place and they have some requirements, and then I apply at the other place and the requirements are slightly different. So what we're suggesting is you need to align those requirements um, so that a developer can just, it's basically a one-stop shop. I only yeah, have- develop, the, developer typically, the developer's going to the, for the same product going to multiple agencies. So it should be coordinated. Uh, we, don't have, we only have about 20 seconds left in the segment, but we can't get to all your recommendations, but what's the overarching theme of your recommendations? Overarching theme is to make it easier to build affordable housing in California. Standardized processes have these requirements or the, the, the types of things that you have to submit to the state consistent, the requirements from what the treasurer expects versus what HCD or CalHAPA expects. We need to streamline and, and make sure that we're doing everything we can to make it easier to build affordable housing in California. Yeah, while, while the state government has its shortcomings when dealing with the issue of affordable housing, local governments also play a role. Are local governments doing their job? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're talking with California State Auditor Elaine Howe about a recent report her office issued on affordable housing. You indicate in your report that the state um, has not ensured that local jurisdictions, in most instances we're talking about cities, uh, has has not done a good job ensuring that local jurisdictions have accommodated the need for uh, affordable housing. How so? Well, the, the Housing Community Development, which is the state agency that's responsible for working with local jurisdictions, is not making sure that they're reviewing the housing plans that local jurisdictions put together. They need to exercise more oversight to make sure lo local jurisdictions are really committed to building affordable housing. What we saw is locals can put up barriers. Um, they can require high fees from developers. They can limit the number of units that can be constructed. There are the, the types of things that um, um, local jurisdictions can really put, again, put up a barrier, whether it's intentional or not, uh, making it difficult to construct affordable housing in it California. It sounds like the, the, the devil's in the details. You can have a local plan, but the devil's in the details. Um, you know, you also indicate that uh, perhaps the state's default standards for what constitutes, quote unquote, allowable density, unquote, may be to blame. And you also made some pretty simple solutions, suggestions. What are they? Yeah. Right. Density is an issue uh, that we addressed in the report. The standard uh, density uh, default density standard right now for affordable housing in California is 10 to 10 to 30 units per acre. Um, but what we saw when we looked at some of the counties that were doing a good job of building affordable housing, bu building multifamily housing, we saw their density standards were higher than that. So uh, what we're suggesting to the state of California, the legislature is make the uh, density standards bigger uh, because a lot of local jurisdictions are saying, well, the default is 10 to 30, so I'll come in around 20 and I'm fine. Uh, what we're saying is make that density standard higher uh, to allow and allow local jurisdictions to construct more, but also that indicates an expectation to locals that you need to increase the density standard because then you can build more affordable housing, particularly multifamily housing. So there's those local jurisdictions are doing just enough to meet that standard. It's just raise the standard um, a little bit because uh, it's shown it can be done in, in, in many places. Mm -hmm. um, also, mentioned, we've talked about this earlier about the need to streamline uh, the local approval process. 
Right. The local approval process, process excuse me, can be difficult for uh, developers. Again, uh, some of the jurisdictions make it very difficult. There's a very lengthy process that developers have to go through and it can be very frustrating and take a long time. Uh, and some developers just decide it's just not worth the effort to have to go through to try to construct affordable housing in this particular jurisdiction. Yeah. And then that's, yeah, it just, you can't create disincentives. It's, it's hard enough. Right. Uh, and then you have all these different requirements by different agencies and, and at different timelines, it, it gets to be just administrative nightmare. So coordination uh, seems to be uh, kind of needed in, in this area. Now, I want to ask you about, um, in your report, you say at least 470 or 87% of the state's local jurisdictions, 87%, that's a large number, are not on track to provide the needed uh, affordable homes that, that Californians need. As a result, it appears the state has not done enough uh, to ensure local jurisdictions follow through on their local plans to accommodate affordable housing. So what are some of your proposed solutions to address that problem? Right. What, what we felt that the legislature needs to do is give our state housing community development uh, agency department uh, more authority uh, to oversee local jurisdictions and really be able to have expectations that they can enforce. Uh, requiring local jurisdictions to streamline their processes. Uh, housing community development needs to look at, not just look at the housing plan, but then really look at what are the jurisdictions doing? What kind of process do they have? If I'm a developer, what process do I have to go through to even get approval to construct units? Looking at the density standards. So the state of California needs to have more of a role uh, and through our HCD, Housing Community Development Agency, to enforce some of these requirements. One of the things I also wanted to point out in your report, um, highlight, is that you talked about an appeals process. Right. That was pretty interesting. Right. And we actually saw that other states have that process where if a developer gets continues to run up against barriers at the local level, but has submitted everything, there would be an appeal process where that developer could go to the state of California and say, I want to build affordable housing in, in this jurisdiction. But and I have done everything the jurisdiction, the local jurisdiction has asked of me, um, but I'm running up against these roadblocks and there could be an appeal process. Uh, if the local jurisdiction denies uh, the permit or denies the ability, then they could appeal to the state uh, and the state could say, nope, we're going to give this developer approval. We saw that in other states and it worked quite well. Yep, that seems like it's only fair. Well, I want to thank the state auditor, uh, Elaine Howell, for joining us. Up next, what is the governor and legislature doing to address the issue of affordable housing? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Heppel with the Maddie Institute. Prior to the pandemic, addressing the issue of affordable housing in California was considered among Gavin Newsom's top priorities. He even spoke about doing something along the lines of a Marshall Plan, the historic redevelopment plan that uh, revived countries of Western Europe after World War II to address the issue. So what has actually been done to address California's housing crisis? We'll ask LA Times Sacramento Bureau Chief John Myers and Cal Matters columnist Dan Walters. Welcome back to the Maddie Report. Thank you. So, uh, John, let me ask you, um, how would you assess the state's progress when it comes to housing? Um, boy, uh, not not great. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the short answer here, Mark, is that this is a complicated topic. It doesn't seem complicated at one point, and certainly understandably, that we just simply need more housing in the state 
for people, especially uh, housing that they can afford, to be clear. But the issues are complicated. We didn't get to this point easily in terms of the of the difficulties, the, the challenges, the sense of local priorities versus statewide goals. Uh, I think we're still stuck in a lot of those issues about density, about what it means to have California neighborhoods, what they look like decades ago and what they're going to look like in a state with 40 million people. So the pandemic has slowed a lot of this down. And I think a lot of this still is to be determined and how it will play out in Sacramento. Yeah, the numbers are pretty daunting. I mean, they're talking about at one point we needed 200,000 uh, units uh, being produced every year. We're at half of that. Uh, when it gets to affordable housing, they're talking about they needed 70,000 units. But now they're saying we've fallen so far behind that we need 125,000 a year to deal with the affordable housing issue. So, Dan, how would you assess um, how housing has been dealt with these last few years? Well, I think the uh, proof may be in the in the numbers. Housing construction going down, not up in California. Uh, in fact, it, and it's not just necessarily pandemic related. It was going down even before the pan pandemic hit. It was going down even when the economy of California was growing strong. We've been trending downward in housing starts in California down to maybe 100,000 in a good year. But net, net, after you take all the houses that, that are destroyed, raised, obsolete, burned by fire, the net is down around seventy-five to 80000 a year, and that's way, way, way short of what California needs. Even though our population growth has slowed to a crawl, we have this enormous backlog of housing need, and particularly affordable housing. The second issue is going the wrong way, but also the cost. It's about a half a million dollars to build a unit of affordable housing in California on average, and in some communities, in, high, in extensive communities, three quarters of a million or even a million dollars a unit. And yeah. that is probably the greatest impediment to, to, to doing what's necessary to be done. So and this is a problem that's not going away, Dan. Um, what's the state's most likely steps going forward? Are we gonna uh, deal with the great white whale of CEQA reform? Well, that's the CEQA reform, California Environmental Quality Act is one, the, the misuse of that act is a one of the impediments to housing in California. But the biggest impediment is simply opposition in local communities to having more housing that people say brings more traffic, more crime, more hassle. Why should we take this? We don't need this. And that's particularly true of high density, lower income housing. And so really in the end, what it's going to take is the state confronting government directly on, on these issues because local governments, heeding their constituents, are very, very reluctant to approve the kind of housing that California needs the most. I'm sorry, John, we've got about 10 seconds left. So are we gonna solve this problem? Uh, you know, uh, I think it's gonna take years. It took us a long time to get into it. I think Governor Newsom uh, has said it's a priority, but once we get through the pandemic, he's gotta push. There's gotta be somebody, some impetus to get through this. Well, hopefully that will happen. I want to thank our guests, California State Auditor Elaine Howe, Dan Walters from uh, CalMatters, and John Myers from the LA Times. Perhaps we can solve the state's affordable housing crisis, at least in part, by making an old idea new again. I'm referring to granny flats. California's housing crisis has been growing for almost a decade, and reports are that new construction permits continue to fall short. The bottom line is there's simply not enough homes being built fast enough to meet demand. But does everyone need or even want a three or four bedroom home? 
Could granny flats, these detached dwelling units, be at least part of the answer? Our guest has examined that issue. He is Ario Mesquita, a research associate with the Nonpartisan California Budget and Policy Center. Welcome to the Matty Report. Thank you for having me. So tell us about the who, what, when, where, why, and how of California's housing crisis. So a recent budget center analysis found that 8 in 10 households that make below 200% of the federal poverty line are paying more than 30% of their income solely on housing costs. Just housing. Just housing. So take a family of four, for example, earning roughly $50,000 a year. They're paying just o over 30% of their income solely on housing. Mm. And there's another layer to that, that two in three people that struggle to pay for housing are people of color. So we have an, a huge issue on our hands, and we believe that we requires... Uh, various different policy options to solve this and help those who struggle all, every day. All the tools in the toolbox, and this is this is one of them. And this so, is one of them. And you're, you're talking about, you know, in your report about, you know, poverty is a major issue in California. What's the, so draw the connection, and I think you kind of already have, but just draw the, even a clear connection between housing and poverty. Right. So California's poverty rate is ranked number one among all 50 states. I think it would surprise a lot of people. If Yeah, if we look at the supplemental poverty measure, which takes into account the varying costs of living in different parts of the state, and research has shown that the primary drivers of this high poverty rate is the high cost of housing as well as the lack of affordable housing. Um, and also we can't talk about this without talking about the fact that wages are stagnating. While housing costs are increasing, wages haven't increased much. Yeah. Um, you know, there's this thing that they're, they're talking about. We call them granny flats and there are other in-law <laughs> units, other ways you can refer to these. But under the law, I guess they're called accessory dwelling units or ADUs <laughs> is an abbreviation. Um, is something, so that's what people generally refer to as like a, a granny flat, right? Some, right? some detached dwelling in your backyard where people can live. Right. So there are various names for it, um, granny flats, secondary units, in-laws. Mm -hmm. uh, but what it is, is just a structure that could be attached or detached from the main house. And the key is that they have independent living facilities. So a bathroom, a, bathroom, a kitchen, a, kitchen. Um, you know, a place to sleep. Um, and also a door that leads to the exterior so that someone ha doesn't have to go through the primary, oh, okay. through the primary house. You know, it, it seems like these things already exist out there, right? There's a yeah. lot of people that probably converted a garage into an right. apartment, um, and I assume a good number of these are not permitted. Um, so what does that mean in terms of living conditions if you have this unpermitted granny flat? And how many of them exist in California? Right. So literature, there's a consensus that the majority of ADUs are unpermitted. Um, a lot we, of people doing this. A lot of people doing this. Okay. We don't necessarily know what the numbers are. There mm -hmm. was a study in Los Angeles area about five years ago that estimated over 25,000 unpermitted That's a ADUs. Lot. And so that just sort of gives us a glimpse, right, into right. The, the size of the issue. Um, and the main problem with unpermitted ADUs is exactly that. We don't know um, what the living conditions are. Um, they haven't been inspected, there's no oversight, and we can't ensure that they meet certain criteria um, that protects renters. Right. The, the whole point of having zoning codes and, and, and these requirements is you wanna make sure these uh, dwellings are safe. Right. Um, and if someone just throws something up in their backyard, Maybe not so much. Right. And you said 25,000 were found to be unpermitted in Los Angeles alone a few years ago. Yes. So just extrapolate that out straight Say why. We're talking a large number. A large number. Yeah, um, and I would, I would think that also in more expensive areas, you're going to see probably even more of this happening, I would guess, um, because, because rents are so high in places like Los Angeles. Right, right. The research you know, shows that this is throughout California. Right. So the, the, some, of the, some cities and jurisdictions have set up these amnesty programs to mm -hmm. get these unpermitted 
granny flats up to code. Um, right. How successful have they been? Right, so there's been a few cities that are trying some different things out. If we take Marin, for example, um, they've been able to, in just two years, bring up 60 units up to code. Um, and the way they've structured their program is coupling fee reductions with a limited period. So folks have a, you know, a year, two years to come in and mm -hmm. sign up their ADU and they'll get some fees reduced. So that's proven successful there. Really, we need more research to, to, to find out what the impacts are actually, you know, would be right. on a larger scale. Yeah, I mean, we need to know what are the triggers, right? Why, why do people build these units? Why would they want to permit these units and what's what's going to be motivational for them to do it right, right. and we don't know right. that right now we, we don't know that right now we know some of the main barriers you know fees right. parking restrictions and so forth right. um, and that's well what about um, you know uh, higher rents I mean if someone brings mm -hmm. their dwelling unit up to code right. they might turn around and say well it's nice I'm going to charge more in rent right so what we do know is that these programs would ensure that health and safety standards are met um, for these units mm -hmm. um, we're not sure there's we need more research to better understand what the dynamics would be on rent um, and how that may play out at a larger scale throughout the state. Yeah, and I think that's something we have to look at uh, closer. But up next, we're going to talk about the connection between housing and health. That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. We're now joined by Adriana Ramos Yamamoto um, and Monica Davalos from the Nonpartisan California Budget and Policy Center. We're discussing the possibility of building these so-called granny flats as a way of dealing with uh, California's housing crisis. And we're talking about units that are probably in the 400 to 600 square foot range detached from the main house. So the California uh, Budget and Policy Center was specifically looking at the health impacts of uh, developing granny flats. Can you explain the connection between these granny flats or whatever you want to call them and, and health? Yeah, so I'll talk about the connection between housing and health in general. Okay. There's a growing understanding that where you live affects your health. So the affordability of housing, the quality of housing, stability of housing, the physical conditions within the homes, the social conditions in the neighborhoods and the communities, that all affects health outcomes. But I want to focus here on housing affordability. Mm -hmm. Housing is commonly considered to be affordable when a family spends less than 30% of income on rent or mortgage. And research shows that families that experience difficulty paying rent, mortgage, utility bills are more likely to lack a sufficient food supply and they're more more likely to have a less consistent source. They're spending all of their money on rent care. and housing. That's right. Yeah. And there's an opportunity cost of that. And in an extreme cases, difficulty paying rent or mortgage can even lead to homelessness in extreme cases. And that as you know, is very detrimental to health. So making housing more affordable could lead to a change in income-related health outcomes for renters and homeowners, including a decrease in chronic health conditions and mental health conditions such as stress and anxiety. Yeah, stress r results in, in health issues. You know, I read somewhere, and I can't remember where it was, that they said, it might have been a study out of the University of Wisconsin, that said that your zip code is more important to your health than whether or not you have access to a doctor, whether you have insurance, rather, whether you have insurance. So where you live really matters when it comes to health. Absolutely. Um, so uh, what are some of the potential safety and health effects uh, of, of addressing unpermitted granny flats? These unpermitted, un rather, unpermitted granny flats. What's the, what are some of the health effects? Yeah, so addressing the issue of unpermitted ADUs may help to achieve a higher level of housing quality. We know that healthy homes promote good health, and when I mean health, I'm talking about 
physical health and mental health. And good health depends on having homes that are safe and free from physical hazards, such as carbon monoxide, allergens, lead in paint, pipes, faucets, that sort of thing. Um, and poor housing conditions, we know, are associated with negative health outcomes, such as injury, chronic disease, and poor mental health. So when any residential unit is brought to proper permitting standards, and in this case, we're talking about unpermitted ADUs, right. it may help these units meet health and safety standards that are less harmful to an occupant's health. Because a lot of these are kind of like people saying, oh, that's a good idea, let's change the garage into an apartment or put something in the backyard. And there might be painting with lead paint, and mm -hmm. you know, it may not be safe from a fire standpoint, the electrical work might be suspect. All kinds of health issues associated with that, I would, I would assume. Exactly. So, so getting those non-permit or unpermitted uh, permitted uh, granny flats up to speed is, is kind of, I would seem to be yeah, related to health. So, so Monica, let me ask you this. What about the potential effects of expanding granny flats regarding these neighborhood-based resources? Yeah, so currently we know that low-income neighborhoods tend to be lower resource areas. And because of this, individuals who live there, they tend to be more exposed to, you know, being obese or having chronic health conditions. And this is primarily due to the fact that, you know, there's a high density of fast food restaurants, lack of accessibility to fresh foods, and they're usually neighborhoods that aren't really conducive to physical activity. And that's why it's really important. They to may not have sidewalks. Exactly, you know? yeah. So, and that's why it's really important to build or ADUs in higher resource areas where these the amenities that they benefit from can benefit other individuals right. and that's usually in the form of you know higher better higher performing schools with better resources um, tr public transit and even better police protections yeah, and you talked you talked a little bit in your report about infill development um, as a way to increase uh, social and economic diversity in neighborhoods that's mm -hmm. another way to deal with it yeah so by Building ADUs, it's essentially infill development because mm -hmm. you're using the land that's already existing with these resources. Right. And so when you create those additional housing units, it gives people the incentive to move into areas that they normally wouldn't be. And this is usually in the form of different socioeconomic backgrounds and different like racial and ethnic backgrounds. Yeah, you know, one of the things you also kind of mentioned, I think the term they use is food deserts, mm -hmm. right? Where you literally can't access good food. The only thing you've got is, I don't want to pick on any fast food restaurant, nothing by, by name, but that's all you have access yeah. to. And so those are high fat, high sugar, bad for your health. Yeah. Um, and so that, so these, these, these ADUs moving into some of these more um, moderate income or high income areas gives these op people opportunity to access better food. Yeah, that's correct. Directly access out. Okay, so that makes, that's a pretty easy connection. Well, up next, uh, there's pending legislation that may dramatically accelerate the development of granny flats in residential communities. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. By now, most are aware that California has a housing crisis. Indeed, there's an estimated backlog of about 2.3 million housing units. Some think facilitating the development of granny flats may be part of the answer. We're talking with Ario Mesquita uh, and Monica Davalos with the Nonpartisan California Budget and Policy Center. So um, I guess it's... Um, Ariel, uh, Ari, we're going to talk with you first about um, this pending legislation. So there's pending legislation that may dramatically accelerate uh, the development of granny flats in residential communities, Senate Bill 13. Um, what would it do to facilitate granny flats? Right. So f currently, local governments regulate ADUs given specific requirements by the state. Um, so this gives local governments... Um, the opportunity to, to regulate in the way that they would like. And this also has caused varying... Um, different standards. Different standards across yeah. many cities. 
And what SB, a lot of jurisdictions. You got fifty-eight counties. Uh, fifty-eight and counties. God knows how many cities and stuff. Yeah. Right. So SB thirteen would try to refine these standards mm -hmm. and to streamline a little bit more the process. Okay. Specifically, one of the major barriers to building ADUs are par parking requirements. Mm -hmm. So what SB thirteen would do, if let's say you tear down your garage and you want to put an ADU there, mm -hmm. um, cities would no longer be able to impose. Um, on the owner to replace that parking spot with on-street parking or something of the sorts. And mm -hmm. so that would definitely facilitate, you know, the process for owners. Um, also, it would speed up the review process. Currently, cities can take up to 120 days to review the application. That's often, you often hear that from developers, that it takes too long, it takes too long to get through the process. It takes too long. And so SB 13 would shorten that by half to 60 days. Wow. So that's a significant... Um, yeah. Um, change and also there's this owner occupancy requirement mm -hmm. that many cities um, will impose that the owner has to live um, either at the main house or at the ADU and SB 13 would would change that as well. Okay, so um, so why are granite flats seen as a, a possible solution to the, to the housing crisis? So addressing the housing crisis requires a mix of policy solutions. Um, we think there's no one silver bullet and we have to tackle it in different ways. Uh, we found through our research that ADUs could be a part of that solution mm -hmm. for sure. Um, they provide a unique opportunity to build more homes without direct government investment um, and also build in areas that prevent large-scale development, right? right? right. Multifamily or like large-scale apartments. And we were talking buildings. about, when we were off camera, talking about uh, the LAO had a report a number of years ago saying that, yes, government is, is a part of the solution here, but government cannot solve the housing crisis in California. It really needs to be solved in large measure by the private sector. And this seems like one possible solution. We think that there needs to be, you know, a number of, of solutions. All the tools in the toolbox. All box. the tools. Right, and right. ADU is one way to tackle the problem from a different angle and provide another you know, type of affordable option, mm -hmm. housing for Californians who really are struggling to pay for housing costs and make ends meet. Yeah, and this day. makes it easier because the, the, you don't have any land costs, the person already has the land, the construction duration is short, so right. it makes right. it more affordable. More um, affordable. So Monica, I want to ask you about the potential effects of SB 13 on housing stability for, for homeowners. Uh, what, what did you find there? Yeah, so our research really found two primary ways that it'll affect housing stability. Um, and particularly if homeowners do go on and build ADUs, they can use that additional income to supplement, you know, what they already have, and this increases their financial stability. And they can pay their mortgage with it, yeah. you know, it disposes more disposable Just, income. Yeah. And so but and then the second thing we mainly found was that it would be particularly beneficial for middle-aged and elderly Californians, mm -hmm. um, especially those who do choose to build an ADU because it further incentivizes kind of aging in place and Which a lot, a lot of, of people want to do. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. The only thing too is I just was thinking as you're talking that a lot of middle-aged people and seniors haven't saved a lot for their retirement. This is another way to supplement that income um, in, an, in an era where we don't have a lot of traditional pensions, right? A lot of people haven't put money aside in a 401k, they're going to need this money to survive. They can't live on Social Security alone. So this is maybe another another option. Um, so um, this is not the first attempt, Monica, is it, to, to facilitate the development of granny flats? I mean, this has happened before. Uh, what's happened before when they've tried to increase the number of, of these units? Yeah, so as you said, there has been previous legislation passed, but there are still multiple barriers to the development of mm -hmm. ADUs, mainly in the, in the form of development fees and uh, other building codes. But the recent legislation passed that actually took effect in 2017, that they aimed to really streamline the process 
of ADUs, as well as eliminate some of the parking barriers, as you mentioned. And they've got some good data on in San Diego and in Oakland and Los Angeles where it has had an effect. Yeah. So within major cities around California, there has been an increase mm -hmm. after these regulations were passed. Um, LA specifically saw kind of one of the bigger jumps. In 2016, they went from having 80 applications, and then in 2017, that number rose to a little to a little under 2,000. Wow, that is a big jump. So mm -hmm. what about the effects on the supply of permanent housing? Yeah, so research does show strong evidence that if someone builds an ADU, they do eventually turn that into permanent housing. Mm -hmm. um, specifically, there was a survey conducted in the East Bay area where 85% of homeowners who had an ADU reported to use that as 85%, permanent housing. 85%, that's, that's really high. And I was reading yeah. a report that Oregon did a study too, it was 82%, so that you're mm -hmm. seeing some consistent numbers there. What about, um, Ari, what about uh, the supply of affordable housing? Does this affect that supply as well? Y yes, so research shows that ADUs are more affordable than other units within that given neighborhood context, mm -hmm. in part because of its size. Um, but research also shows that without further government regulations, it may be hard for us uh, to, to ensure that these ADUs remain affordable. For, yeah, for, uh, for some people, particularly with low income. Right, and there's yeah. been different strategies throughout the state. Um, for example, there's the Backyard Homes Project in Los Angeles that are providing technical assistance and helping owners build ADUs. Right. In and return, they'll rent their ADUs. And you're also seeing that in Clovis, in, in the in Central Clovis Valley. In Clovis as well. Okay, so, so up next, uh, who are most likely to be affected by the development of this kind of housing? That conversation in a moment. This is the Maddie Report. Welcome back. I'm Mark Kepler with the Maddie Institute. Just to keep pace with its growing population, California needs an average of 180,000 homes per year, according to state housing officials. Last year, around 110,000 new residential permits were pulled. So that's 70,000 units short. We're talking with Ario Mesquita and Adriana Ramos Yamamoto with the Nonpartisan California Budget Policy Center about granny flats, for lack of a better way to say it. Um, so who's likely to be most uh, positively affected by expanded availability of, of, of granny flats, Ario? Right. So research shows that ADUs are composed by smaller households, so that's one or two people. Um, oftentimes younger adults, so think maybe students, you know, this could be a good option for Seems college like a really town. good option for, for college students. Right. Um, also, as we mentioned earlier, seniors could benefit mm -hmm. um, greatly from this, especially as they age, you know, have less income. Um, and additionally, it's important to note, again, that two and three people who struggle to afford housing are people of color. Right. And we also found that the most restrictive laws surrounding ADUs are in communities of color. Mm. Could be various reasons for that. We need more research to better understand those dynamics. But a bill like this that facilitates these buildings, that ensures that they meet health and safety standards right. could have especially um, a lot of benefits for those communities. Yeah, Adrian, I want to ask you though about uh, the development of Granite Flats. You say in your report that they could be particularly beneficial for middle-aged and elderly homeowners. Why do you say that? That's right. So the development of ADUs could allow middle-aged and elderly homeowners to more easily remain in their homes as they transition into having a fixed or reduced income toward the end of their right. lives. Age, aging in place. You know, That's right. Anybody who has a parent knows they don't want to move out of their home. They really would prefer, if they could, to stay where they are. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, research shows that aging in place significantly reduces stress and improves mental health among seniors, as you just said. Yeah. The income from renting out either an ADU or the main house could help older adults achieve the financial stability that they need in order to age in place, which allows them to stay near their established networks. Right, right. Um, and it also decreases the risk of 
isolation and depression. Which is very important. And people don't realize how important isolation can be for first senior. The other thing that was interesting is you, opinion polls. You cited 70 to 80% of baby boomers express a preference for aging in place. So you're seeing this population aging, this silver tsunami, and they want to do this. They want to stay at home. This is stay age in place, and this may allow them to do that. Mm -hmm. right. um, so, Adrian, I also ask you about um, does this improve, do these granite flats improve the situation for renters? And if so, how? Yeah, so our research shows that the development of ADUs could improve the situation for renters in a couple of ways. So it could lead to an increase in the overall supply of housing, which would potentially reduce the cost of housing in the overall market. It's basic supply and demand, right? Economics right. 101. <laughs> More specifically, it could be expected to slow the rate of increase in the cost of housing compared to the increase that we would expect to see without adding any units to the housing supply. Ultimately, it's just one additional housing option right. for renters. And secondly, building ADUs in well-established resource areas could improve opportunities for renters to be healthy. These well-established resource areas promote health by providing places for folks to exercise, such as parks and bike paths, and they provide access to grocery stores that sell fresh produce and have fewer fast food restaurants. And lastly, they provide access to really important pub public resources, such as well-funded schools and efficient transportation. Yeah, I think that the, the flip side of that, which needs, probably needs to be studied, is what effect do these granite flats have on the property values of adjacent ho uh, property owners? That's another thing, because you want to have community support for these things. If people feel it's ad adversely affecting their property values, they may push back. If it shows, no, it's not, then they'll be more supportive. But um, Ariel, I want to ask you this. Um, how big an impact, we do this, how big an impact is it the expanded use of granny flats going to have on California's housing crisis? Right. So um, I think addressing this crisis requires a mix of policy solutions and tackling it from different angles. ADUs could definitely be a part of that. Um, increasing the supply of permanent and affordable housing in these areas that offer few opportunities for larger scale development. Um, we think that there can be um, a significant uh, increase in, in the supply of affordable housing. And as we know, California needs housing. Right. It needs it quickly. And, you know, this could be another option for exactly. affordable housing. Exactly. One of the things I think you've all stressed <laughs> is there's no silver bullet here. But no this is one, one tool in the toolbox tool. for the housing crisis. I want to thank our guests, Ariel Mesquita, Adriana Ramos Yamamoto, and Monica Davalos for joining us. They're from the California Budget and Policy Center. If you want to stay current on state and local politics, you can log on to the Maddie Institute website and find out more about the Maddie Institute. This is Mark Kepler from the Maddie Institute. Thanks for joining us. The views expressed in the Maddie Report are those of the individuals participating in the program and do not necessarily reflect those of the California Channel or the Maddie Institute. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the points and opinions expressed on the Maddie Report, visit our website at maddieinstitute.org. The Maddie Report, Valley Views Edition, is a public affairs partnership between KMJ Radio, Cumulus Media, and the nonpartisan Maddie Institute, providing the Valley with valuable insight and analysis on politics and important public policy issues. This is KMJ.